Hello everyone and welcome to episode 11 of the Deerhorn. I'm your host Jay Ryan and this is a Seattle Lumber podcast for the curious and committed. Someone recently reached out to me and told me that uh, there's a Grateful Dead podcast that also has that slogan and uh, I didn't know that and I don't know which came first but I don't care and I'm keeping it so yeah. That being said, if you do want to take acid and listen to the deer horn, I'm fine with that. It should be a pleasant experience, I guess. Um, Not a ton new in my world other than I'm struggling musically and focusing all my time on photography, but because of that, I've made a conscious decision to really get back into the deer horn this year, and and I'm hoping I can grow it, uh, have some more bonus things, and yeah, just because I'm not creating a ton personally, I feel like this is kind of the thing that lets me... uh, be a deep part of the community and i want to be you know i want to support and know what's happening and whatever so even though uh, my musical output is low i just wanted to say for all the people that do you know take the time to talk to me ask questions whatever i'm still very much here for that and in fact uh i miss talking about gear with people so yeah hit me up Uh, Before we get into today's guest, I just wanted to say one thing quick that uh, pretty much everyone that's been on the show has had new music come out in some way, shape or form since they have been a guest on the show. So, you know, if you want to look through the artists that have been on the show and and go seek some stuff out by them, uh, I definitely recommend you do that. Uh, Fern Lodge just put out a brand new album. the lifted index and today's guest have an episode of uh the ambient vault out Uh, i think some other guests have episodes of the ambient vault coming soon and yeah just everyone that's been on the show seems to be still pretty active so yeah if you want to find some music uh dig around hit me up hit them up and i'm sure you'll find it all of that being said Today's guest is Ambilek, and uh, I first came across Ambilek through recent guests, The Lifted Index, and we got to talking um, about Ambilek, and I somehow uh, didn't stumble across his music like in, in just scrolling and interacting with people, which is weird because it you know, it was right up my alley and I don't know how it didn't come on my radar, but when I did find him finally, I saw like he had a big following, um, a great sound, a consistent aesthetic. And I got talking to the lifted index and we talk about this in the episode, but I was just saying like, why is there uh, no album from this guy? And uh, now there is, and you can get it on Sile Records. It sold out, but there's another edition, which uh, you can see or hear uh, we talked about in this episode a little bit. We get to know Ambilek a little bit, and he talks about sampling movie soundtracks, uh, some Boards of Canada adjacent music, DIY beginnings. We get into the Make Noise Maths. Uh, He compares some 
quality of music making to different cameras, which I thought was kind of interesting. We talk about the Sid Rassi and the ghosts within the Coco Quanis. <laughs> and my favorite of all was uh, he suggested that Jogging House do a Patreon video on tuning the deer horn because it is hard. And he said that he actually enjoys doing it. So Boris, if you can, uh, share your secrets with everyone we'd really appreciate it and Ambalek has done a couple of Norn scripts which are widely popular um, I don't have a Norn so I haven't used them but we do talk about them a bit and uh, I may put links to the Norns library in the description for this show if I happen to remember by the time it comes out so yeah check out uh, Fremder Ambalek's new album check out his ambient vault episode and if you have a norns check out his scripts this uh, episode was super fun and i felt like it was really a conversation so thanks for that alex and we'll talk to everyone soon I live in I live in London. I've lived in the UK forever. I've never lived anywhere else. I would have liked to have lived somewhere else, but I haven't. The opportunity hasn't come up. And I do have some background in music. I kind of, I didn't really grow up with music. I don't have a musical family or anything. But my family they they play the basic instruments that you would learn at school. So, like my my mother used to play keyboard and she bought one of those Yamaha keyboards in the 90s and or the 80s I don't remember <laughs> and it had that it had the FM kind of stuff but it was all presets and I used to like experimenting with that um, and and then I learned guitar and things like that so I, I kind of had music but because of my career because of the work I do for a long time I was quite entrepreneurial and it took so much. Have you ever done work like that? Like um, started your own company or something like that? No, apart from like this podcast, which I've basically done everything uh, possible to avoid making it legitimate work. <laughs> so no, I yeah. haven't. It, it's hard. It takes a lot, a lot out of you. So finding people, so imagine you launch a product, you need to find people to work, to help work on it, or you need to find people to buy it. And it's all your time. It's weekends and everything. And that I got into this. I, I did a degree in uh, software engineering. I, I graduated. I got a job writing software. But I wanted to be more entrepreneurial. And I was making music at the same time. I was making... Do you remember net labels? Were you ever into that? No, I don't. But feel free to enlighten mm -hmm. me. Net labels was... I, I, it still exists. It's just that you... So imagine a record label that's basically a website and you can anyone can 
send in demos and maybe they'll pick them up if it fits their kind of genres or their kind of sound. And I used to contribute stuff to that because it's kind of a semi-professional way of doing it. For me, it was semi-professional. It was getting music out there, but it wasn't committing to finding people to really invest in it. And I, I used to do that and I would make that, <laughs> I would make the, the stuff that was more like that kind of click and cut stuff because it was about 20 years ago oh sick I, I i like him just kind of finding that stuff now and i love it and it's it's cool that you came from that background it is that kind of asmr feeling and i i made stuff like that and i do other weird things like i would sample movie soundtracks and make a song entirely from sounds from the movie but not in not in a way that you could tell it was just single waveforms or things like that and I'd make all these weird things like this. And when I made the music I actually wanted to make, which was basically taking out the drums and make it kind of almost cinematic or ambient or um, orchestral or ambient, nobody would like it. Like I would show it to people and I'd find like labels in the UK and I would show it to them and they just wouldn't be interested at all. Um, probably 15 years ago this was. So you were just a little bit too early? <laughs> I don't know. I think it, it's a case of finding the right people, isn't it? And I'm not particularly sociable. I don't, I find it quite hard to do networking thing, networking and things like that. So I just kind of gave up and it, it was kind of heartbreaking. Like music was going nowhere. I couldn't get, I couldn't reach the right people. And I was trying to do this entrepreneurial stuff. So I just quit. And I kind of felt better that I could just focus on my career. But then I'd never really, I could never really stop loving music. I, I still found artists that I cared about and I still found more and more ambient and I've got more and more records like taking up more and more space. So I could never quit it, but I, I quit making it until probably three years ago I saw on YouTube my YouTube recommendations were getting more and more used music focus as I discovered modular synths and things like that so um, it was it, there was a video that came up and it was Heinbach but I didn't know who it was and it was my live setup and I was looking at it like Oh, I thought everybody made electronic music on computers, really. Like, I know some people are doing instruments, but they're very expensive. So who is this? What is he doing? And he just had some tapes and some, um, like, basically like a Walkman and some effects and a few simple synths. And I was like, this is, this is amazing. This looks fun. This, and th for a long time, I kind of felt like I was missing that. Like, I had, I had work and work was fine. I have my family and everything's going fine with my family, but I felt like something was missing. And this just seemed to me, this is what I need. I need this, what this guy is doing. I need it. So that was it. That changed everything, that video. Um, and I got some, I dug out my, <laughs> my tape players and my effects. And I started playing with it and it sounded like music. I know that sounds obvious to us now with <laughs> what we've been involved with, but... It was kind of exciting. Um, yeah, and do you remember how you found Seat Lombard stuff, by the way? Um, I definitely was uh, influenced by Heinbach's YouTube a little bit as well, but uh, 
Joe Millar Fernlodge, who was the first guest on the show, and he's a very good friend of mine, and he was like an early adopter. He'd been using it for, you know, like 12 years or something now, and he kept telling me about it, and I just, I couldn't do it, but then finally, um, I, I don't know what the case was, but for some reason I finally had money that I could spend on gear that I wasn't dying to own, and uh, I bought a Coco Qantas and... Yeah, the, we know what happened from there. <laughs> I I don't have a I don't have a friend <laughs> that that introduced me to it, but it, it it's really strange because I did have a friend. Um, I've lost, lost contact with him, but he's a really good bass player, and he built pedals, and he was into the forums, like you know all these like mod wiggler and lines and things like that. He actually showed me those when they were quite new. It might be more than ten years ago or in the case of lines a bit later. Um, and he, so he was on that forum talking about building pedals. And I used to check it out because I still had that interest in music technology, but I was not making music. Um, and I saw Seat Lombard on there. I saw wooden instruments. Um, and I wanted it. I just saw it and I wanted whatever that was. And I didn't really understand what they were talking about. So I... I f eventually I dug through the site and I found a link to Peter's website and I didn't have a clue how to buy this thing because it's like a, a simple kind of HTML website. There's no e-commerce thing to it. There's no login. And I eventually figured out you had to write to him or email him and, and he would invoice you and it would be something like $900 or it, it might have been Sid Rassi, something like that back then or the earlier Coca Quantas. Um, and it just frightened me too much. I couldn't, it was, a, I couldn't afford it really. And I, it seemed a bit strange to give somebody that much money without a shop in place or so I just bounced off it and never looked at it again until Heinbach. And one day he mentioned mentioned Patchpoint. And I kept thinking, it, like, what's this Patchpoint? Something in Germany. There's maybe all the cool synthesizer people go there and they make music. And I, I eventually, because I couldn't quite catch what he was saying, and I kept rewinding Patchpoint. And then I searched on Google and I found it was a shop. And you could actually order an instrument using your credit card or debit card. I think that's when I I was pretty excited about that. I thought finally this strange thing, it could be mine. <laughs> um, and I, I also got the Coco Quantas first as well. And wh where did you go from there? Well, the, the, yeah, I got Deerhorn next and I, I still use it a lot. And it was mainly because I think it was, it's just the tone of it. You know, the way a lot of people use it with some noise modulation just something about that they just i would just patch that in eurorack and it would take me quite a lot of work to get that same well, similar tone right um and it doesn't have that kind of expressive interface so i was pretty excited about deer horn and i i sample it all the time still I, like if you've listened to my my album fremda there's lots of deer horn hiding in places in that that also has a lot of plum butter as well i think that was the third one that i got yeah, I was a big fan of the like the the tracks on there where you tucked a little bit of rhythm in as well. I thought that added yeah. so much. I yeah, I actually that's funny because I do shy away from it. Like I spent that twenty years of not really doing much music of 
looking for boards of Canada with no drums. That was basically my musical mission, to find someone making that. I'm still on that mission. <laughs> well, there was a point when... So this is the thing. I have a philosophy about this, that it's not boards of Canada I'm looking for. I don't want anybody to copy it because it wouldn't make sense, would it? It's, it's something about... Like similar threads, but by somebody completely different. And I think in about 2015 or 16, for whatever reason, on in my Instagram was all tech people. It was all my tech people programmer friends and a few photographers. Some reason it showed me R. Benny in in the you know when you press the magnifying glass and it's got recommended accounts. Right. Yeah. And it yeah. had his synthesizers. Now that's when I thought why. People are, people are still making electronic music with instruments. It's not all just laptops. This is weird. And I checked it out and I followed him. And he was called, it was his real name at the time. It was Austin Cairns. It wasn't R. Benny yet. Um, and it was often quite like dark phone quality videos of his instruments. But it had that sound that I was looking for. It didn't have much percussion. And it was a lot of like maybe post-rock inspired chords, like some sus4 going on. So it kind of goes into that slight um, dissonance and then pulls out into something else. Yeah, super moody. Yeah, moody and sometimes lighter pentatonic moments as well. I, lo I loved it. I was blown away by that. And when he announced, he, he announced that, I mean, <laughs> he was basically a guy on Instagram, but he was kind of becoming my hero. And he did this... Um, he did his first album and he, he announced it there. And I went to Bandcamp and I don't, I think it was the second thing I bought on Bandcamp. Um, and it was really exciting to have, like, to actually have albums of this that I'd been following, this, this, this stranger on the internet. I didn't know where he was from or who he was. Um, now he's quite, he's extremely well known in the kind of modular circles and he's used a lot of, Seat Lombard stuff as well. I think he's kind of borrowed it off people and occasionally bought it and sold it again. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm still listening to him. But that was it. That 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 was when I realised you could do it. You could make interesting ambient with kind of heart and life and imagination. So from there, did you like get Eurorack or something, or did you start right away with Seat Lombard? It, well, so I, when I saw his his stuff, I didn't dare buy it basically i couldn't afford it but i i changed job and my that job my income increased quite a lot they, the, my take-home pay wasn't increased but i actually got share options and think i hadn't had that before so occasionally i would actually get lump sums and um, most of it i would try and save it but sometimes i i would save up and get instruments and that, so about 2019, I saw Heinberg with those um, tapes and, and effects. And I thought, buying pedals isn't going to be good enough because I'm not going to be able to kind of program it and modulate it. So what else can I do? And I remembered R. Benny with all his Eurorack stuff and his um, modular. So I thought, maybe I'll try that. And then I found, I was searching on online just how can you DIY to save some money. And I found... Um, look, mom, look, mom, no computer. And in some of his videos, he talks about his modular system, which is different to Eurorack. Have you ever looked at that? It's not the same. So it's basically Eurorack, but he makes it in a bit with bigger, um, 
the heights figure because I think he uses different jacks as well, doesn't he? Use the 6.3 millimeter. I think it's the quarter inch ones, yeah. Yeah. So I think it's just because he can't easily get hold of smaller sized panels. It's not easy for him to buy the metal for it. So he just built his own system. So in one of those videos, he's talking about that. I didn't want to do that because then I, I, I'm not going to make all the modules. Then I'd have another job of making modules. <laughs> so I uh, DIY'd the power supply, which he talks about in this video. So you can quite cheaply build your own power supply, which sounds a bit scary because, you know, you, you, you're you going to put... I thought you would put mains vaulted into it, but you don't really you use an adapter that steps it down. So it's not too many amps. It's, it's fairly safe. Okay. And, and I, I built this thing and I built a terrible case made of wood that was not even. It was, it was a joke. And I just got some effects that looked cool and, and like an LFO. And I bought... Um, a lot of people that DIY modules sell them. So on eBay, I got a load of modules that were extremely cheap because they're ones people bought. And some of them even had small faults, but I could still, so I have like a rings that works really well. But it was like half the price of a regular rings, if that. Right. Um, I was pretty happy with this because now I could be Heimbach. But the, <laughs> the downside was that I blew the power supply eventually, not my power supply, but the wall bit. Um, I drew too much current and it overheated and died. So then I I started eating the cheaper, you know, like big supermarkets do like super cheap lunch deals for, you know what I'm talking about. You get like a sandwich and a just terrible sandwich and a drink. I ate that for about five months and then I saved so much money from not buying lunch at work that I bought that IntelliGel case, you know, the nice one with the one you... Yeah. Um, and, and then I, I actually got more serious into it. So that, that was about two years ago. Um, uh, but I enjoyed that. The thing about Eurorec is it's, you know, because it's 10 volt peak to peak, it's pretty hot. Like the signals of, I, I know some, like sometimes on Lightbath's Discord, he talks about noise problems and how to solve them and where, where they might come from. But because it's fundamentally quite a high, signal like compared to line level or other sources that we use you get pretty good quality out of it so i was pretty happy with it but i had that nagging feeling of like i wanted something a bit more experimental a bit more hands-on so at the moment i'm i've got um a big eurorack case and i've got all my seat lombard stuff and i like routing them through each other or modulating between them um, that works really well but I do so remember I was talking about making Seat Lombard only tracks like your compilation and I, I enjoy that as well it's not the challenge it's it's just using the instruments partly as Peter envisions them you know things like the way they do the panning and stuff how much do you keep that how much do you change it with a mixer or even a sampler or a looper. And I love finding that balance because I, I like the idea that when I use those instruments, you would hear something of that design in them, that it wouldn't be completely sampled and completely changed, but right. it would retain something. So I'm in that world at the moment. I'm mixing both of them. Do you do, you do stuff just with Seat Lombard or do you mix it with other things? 
Uh, I definitely, so when I made, well, really the only record that I've done now, do too, but when I set out to start making that, the plan was to kind of try and do it fully Seat Lombard, and then slowly just certain things got switched around, you know, I I swapped out the uh, Sid racks for a Mellotron, and then the next day I swapped that out for an easel or whatever. But I think like three quarters of everything I do is Seat Lombard. And then the other quarter is whatever is inspiring me at the time kind of thing, you know? I think that's the best way because some of those instruments take inputs and they change them. in you know, like Plum Butcher is a filter. They actually change them in really amazing ways. So if you have something pretty big sounding like I don't know, like subharmonicon or something. You put that through plum butter, you get some interesting results. People seem to anyway. Well, I, I think it's funny too, just to like step back a little bit. What you what you were saying about like utilizing the stereo and everything is like Peter envisioned it because when I first started, like I struggled so much if I wasn't using them in stereo because I felt like I was doing it wrong, you know? I, I Same thing, I wanted to get, like, the intended experience. And then after I interviewed him and Darren, Darren was talking about the, the TRS uh, mini to quarter-inch mono cables, and they called it the cheat cable. <clears throat> oh. Because, like, with the Sidrax, then you can sum the attack and release gestures into one mono signal so you can play it a little bit more uh, traditionally but you do lose like the stereo intent that was you know clearly baked into everything he does i think as well when you listen to peter and you know he's done these talks and he he did that demo where he i've forgotten where it was it was somewhere in the u.s and he was demonstrating the how he tests Coca Qantas and then he starts making sounds with it. It's not just this is how I test it, but he goes off into his own world a bit and starts making music with it. And he has that kind of experimental sound and you can tell the instruments are designed for that to to unlock unexpected intervals and timbres. It's not just timbre, but it's I think it, a lot of it is intervals, like finding interesting tunings. And I actually pulled back from that a little bit because it's hard for me to relate to that because I'm so entrenched in our kind of musical history. So it, I, my own challenge is always, I want, I want to embrace the instrument, but I want to add something basically that's kind of pretty. <laughs> it doesn't always have to be. It can be like you were saying about uh, our Benny. It can sometimes be moody, but it, it doesn't, it's just, I don't imagine Peter likes that. I, I imagine he, well, maybe it's not that he doesn't like it, but I imagine that he, he, he wants those kind of click and cut things and he wants those experimental things. That's what he wants to do. So I, I kind of get a bit excited when I don't do that, when I find this little seam of, you have to work for it, but you find this prettiness that Sidrax can bring out. I think like the click and cut thing is funny too, because like before I got any of the Seat Lombard stuff, I think that would have been something that I would never use in my music. But 
now with the Seattle Lombard stuff, like that's one of my favorite parts. I love the clicks and the asynchronous kind of rhythmic stuff you can get happening or even just like phasing, you know, cocoa buffers and all that stuff. Like it, it's kind of what opened the world of that to me because in Eurorack, I just, I think I was too stuck in my like traditional yeah. synthesizer brain. So I never really got experimental until I was almost forced to, if that makes sense. But like you, like I, you know, I favor melody and, and, you know, classic scales and all that. But I, I think that's what I love about CL so much is that it just, it gives me that little bit of experimental side without having to go like full yeah. Peter Blasser, and you know? I think that's actually some of um, the people I talked to on Discord a lot, like the Lifted Index. He... I think that's why he shies away from Eurorack a bit because he would look at it and think, I already have really good synthesizers and they make that kind of sound. What, what am I getting from this? Whereas Coca Quantis does something that he has, it's like nothing else he's seen. It's not like pedals or um, electroacoustic instruments. There's something, something special about that. So it's kind of actually, I think about it's a little bit like. You know, auteur theory of cinema, where you have the, the, a director that imprints their vision on the film, on the process. And Peter Blass's instruments have that. It's, I think Buchla does as well. So the instrument has that fingerprint from the creator. And um, you're a wreck. You, you, quite often, you're putting your fingerprint on it because you're assembling the modules. Except that those modules have very unique, distinct characteristics. So Make Noise, for example, they quite Buchler-inspired, as far as I can tell. Actually, no, maybe Surge, more Surge, but I can't remember my synth history. Um, it's. I would say, like, having experienced all of those, Make Noise is, is a, definitely a little bit of both. Yeah. I've like had heard people have arguments about whether maths was like based on the the surge DUSG or the Buchla function generator. Like I, I think the end of the day, it's it's definitely West Coast inspired, right? From my experience, it's a distance. It looks like both of those to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, same. Um, but then there's that Tom Herb stuff that you know the digital stuff, which is amazing. I think that's brilliant. Um, yeah, so. There is a there is that uniqueness that those instruments have, and it's if Peter imagine if Peter was a tech company and he started off with this unique idea, bootstrapped it, built it up. The company would then make it boring, wouldn't they? It would then they would churn out these instruments, and they would he's never gone that to that position. It's always been his thing, kind of a cottage industry thing. So we're still lucky to have them as they are without that influence, I think. It's funny you brought up um, the lifted index as well, because I got to know Dan a little bit before he did the show and, you know, on Discord and Instagram and stuff as well. And when we first started talking, that was also like when I got introduced to you and your work. And I kept talking to Dan and I was like, like, you know, because you're pretty uh, consistent and um, regular with, the amount of like content you post on Instagram and YouTube and stuff. So I was talking to Dan and I was like, 
like when is the album coming like the this stuff all sounds like you know and dan was just oh it it'll come when he's ready he's he's just getting ready and then i had actually bought dan's album and a few things and got talking to boris just before your album came out and he's like do you want the next album it's ambilek So I actually had that a little bit early, fortunately. (laughs) I I think I can say that now, maybe. But, yeah, I just thought it was funny that, you know, I was talking to Dan. I'm like, like, he's ready. Like, I need it. I need it. And then it came out and, you you know, you went big. It came out on sale. I think it sold out, right? Yeah. (laughs) I I couldn't really believe it sold out. And, And I was looking just like... You know, I went on the site this morning just to have a quick glance before we talked and everything. And even just like some of the the write-ups that people left on the Bandcamp page and stuff like was incredible. Yes, it feels strange to me because I've kind of had music around for so long and I've been trying to do it for so long. And now people actually listened to it and bought it. It's like I've entered another (laughs) reality or something. I just never thought it would happen. I just thought it would always be my thing and it would just be a thing I did when everybody's gone to bed, I get my synthesizer. Um, so it is, it is, it is quite a, a big change. It is to, and I think something talking about social media and posting things and having some kind of traction, I think there's a feeling that you have to keep that up, but I don't think you do. I think you just, share when you're ready to when you're comfortable to you don't have to deliver something i i I wouldn't hold myself to any schedule or something i just do it because that's my hobby and if i think it's worth sharing all i think it will calm down um i was only doing it regularly really because i knew that album was coming and also about that album um like dan my so if the lifted index says Oh, he, he's, he's ready. He's going to do it. I don't think I really quite was ready because I'd made a lot of stuff based on these influences like Heinbach and, um, Arbeni and Amulets and the, like these mo- J- Just to, just to correct you a little bit, Dan said that you would do it when you were ready. Oh, okay. Not well, that that's, that's true. That but- you were. Cause I was saying like, not knowing you, I was like, he's ready like i can hear it i need to hear it you know but dan was saying like no like when he's ready he will that's what the lifted index was saying he's a he's a smart cookie so he was he is correct very smart but the thing the thing about it is that i needed a mentor i think i needed someone to encourage me to help me to be ready and Boris definitely did that. Like without him, I don't think I could have got. It wouldn't. It would have been like I was saying. It would have been music based on those influences that I had, and not on me. And I've had this problem with lots of things that I've tried to do, whether it's software or even photography. You're interested in photography, aren't you? So yeah, I just started. But you're interested in film photography, right? Mostly. I think that's really good because. I love landscape photography and natural photography, which you can, it's fine to do that with film or or digital. The problem is that the kind of images I like are those full frame or medium format images taken by professionals that have done it for 30 years. 
Um, and everything's kind of, but that's like the kind of music I was trying to make. I was trying to make something like Sigur Ross or um, Benoit Poulard, like epic, beautiful things. And but that's not what I am. I'm not epic and beautiful. I'm kind of, I don't know. I'm I'm more like a Polaroid. I'm not a full frame camera. I'm a Polaroid. That's what I'm a bit earthy, and I I like slow things, and I like meditating and not watching movies. I like that's how I am. And I didn't apply that to music. I tried to make these epic things, and I, that's not me. And Boris, I don't know, he didn't really say anything or do anything specifically, but he teased that out. And it was him being excited about the Seat Lombard things I did. And I said, do you think this kind of thing would work? And he was like, yeah, go, yeah, keep going. Keep, you know, he, just a few sentences on Discord and it changed my whole outlook. I think it's funny, like, I, yeah, because I, I know Epic is like a big word to use when it comes to describing music and or anything i guess really but like i will say like however you want to put it there there's dust and and there's definitely some polaroidy vibes but like and i feel like i say this to everyone i talk to on the deer horn but <laughs> your production is like pretty damn sweet i've never even thought about it like that i don't is there anything in particular that makes you think that? Or? So, like, I'm very picky with, like, and I don't even know as an artist or musician how to explain what it is, but you know how, like, certain mastering engineers or certain mixers will just have, or certain people even, will have, like, just a sonic identity, just the way that everything they do yeah. tends to sound? That's what I found with your record, and I don't know, like, song titles to be specific in that sense or anything, but, like, right from the first second I heard it, the way that you, like, you know, put your sounds and, and whatever EQ, the frequencies, whatever, whatever it is sonically as a stereo image is, like, what my ears wants to hear. And, and instantly I'm like... <laughs> oh, I wish I made this. And that's good. <laughs> you know? Like, I'm not sure how I do it. I don't want to think about it too much in case I can't do it again. And you don't need to give away your secrets, but I definitely wanted to make a point of saying that, like, I, I noticed it right away. Like, I just feel like, you know, when you're saying it's not on maybe the same scale as some of those other artists, like, I think from a production standpoint it sure is and it's just instead of sounding like that it sounds like you and that's you know that's kind of how we got to where we're talking so I, that makes me feel pretty good to hear that i've never really thought about it like that the, i i know i i do i'm not afraid to use stereo basically like if you've done if you come from a dance music background or electronic music um that's more like house music or techno or something you're aiming things at a club audience and you don't tend to use stereo the way I would. The way I use stereo is to, I, I want it to be, I want sound to be holographic, basically. I want, you know, the way you look at a hologram and it's, you get that slight uncanny way it jumps out for a second when it hits the light just right. That's what I want stereo to be, like, and frequencies. Sometimes I'm listening to something and it doesn't have to be on any specific speaker. I can hear there's resonances that I don't like 
And when I hear those resonances in my music, I just know I'll take that note down a little bit or I'll I'll filter it or and it, you only have to do it a little bit. It might be max five dB. Um so it's just all those little things. But that holographic sound, it I have been trying to do that and I, I found things like Coca Quantis do it because they add that dust and they add that life and um an image it is almost visual i've found the cocoa like specifically too really good for depth like if you want to sit something further back in the mix without drowning it in reverb or something like that or if you want to make it noisy and really bring it to the forefront like that's one of the things i really found with the seat lombard stuff is it really helped me see or hear in 3d a little bit more instead of just left and right like or, or just using reverb for front to back. I find the C, the Seat Lombard stuff really gives you a good, like, 3D picture. Yeah, and it is dust, isn't it? It's, it's so, like, when before, if we were trying to make digital sounds and it had that kind of bit crush sound when we didn't want it, we, would, we wouldn't like that. We would filter it. But with this, it, it does it in a more organic way. So, and it's down to that, the electronic is down to the design of the electronics. He has individual chips that are designed to work so that when you switch it on, it becomes that machine. There's no firmware or um, microcontroller. And I think there's some something about that that's it, it's an electronic instrument, but in that way that electronic instruments were at the start of electronic music, like the uh, you know when Heinbach talks about Stockhausen, it's it's. I don't know, it's um, dust and life. There's an ebb and flow to it. I, I think it's interesting too what you're talking about. I, I didn't want to cut you off, but the whole like how you hear certain frequencies that you know bother you and you might dip them a bit or whatever i think that ties into exactly what i was saying that i love like just about how your music as a whole sounds i i think like that's just a personal taste because it happens to me too and i've definitely put some harsh shit out in the world and will probably do so again but same thing i've had those moments where there's something about a certain frequency that bothers me but i think like that's that's where taste comes in. There's probably some people that might love that frequency, you know, or, or their ears work in a different way and that one doesn't bother them. And, and so that's why, like I said, when I'm picky, when it comes to just a whole stereo track as it sounds as a whole, that's, I think, what it is. Like, whoever made that is, like, tailored for my ears you know <laughs> yeah probably yeah because i i listen to due quite a lot i just, i was listening to it last week and th there's things in that that they sound like things i i would i would try and make like similar it has similar like cadences and sound design um so it's probably why we're attracted to these instruments as well we're, we're chasing something. We're not quite sure what it is. Well, like even when you were saying earlier that like, uh, you know, how the plum butter can be a processor and stuff. Like I've talked about this a fair bit, but I think that whole album, I used all three stereo ends on <laughs> plum butter on every track. Like that's the bulk of that album is just random loops and field recordings 
into the plum butter and then a little bit of cocoa or something live playing on top. Do you do much crazy patching with things like Coca Quantas or do you tend to use it more simpler? It's funny. I think when I started, I was pretty crazy. And the more I've got to learn it, the less crazy I get because I kind of just know it better now to know like what I'm like generally now with cocoa, I know what I want to get out of it, if that makes sense. Versus like, you know, the initial stages when you're just exploring and you don't know what really you're looking for. And, And that being said, though, because I'm more tame now and I know it better, I will patch slightly different than I did starting out because there's things like, oh, I've never tried this, I've never tried that. And I found some cool things that way. But yeah, like, I think for the most part, I'm not, I'm not that busy. Are you? No, if I'm doing, sim- if I'm using it as a looper, like a kind of noisy looper, I will... I have to determine what I'm doing. Am I doing something simple? Because I'm going to record it under everything else, but I want a theme going. Or do I want it to have some generative quality? If there's the generative quality, I'll need to use, you know, the castle inputs. Um, just to ch- just change the oh, yes. um, waveforms enough that flip and skip will have some unpredictability and the VCA control will for the sampled sound. That's, and I can do that without patching every single castle input to make a crazy mess. I can kind of target it quite specifically to keep it interesting. But that's taken some practice. The other thing I do, quite, I, I used to do field recordings. And I, I used to, um, I would use Minidisc because it was long enough ago that Minidisc was a good <laughs> a good thing to use. And I'd use those binaural <laughs> microphones, you know, the ones you wear. Yeah. Um, and I used to put that in music, and I, I, I liked that, but I haven't done that in the music I've, since I started again. I haven't been doing it, but I do patch Coca Quantas at audio rooms to create lots of layered kind of clicks. You feed it back into itself, so it's constantly sampling, and you know you can start and stop the sampling with those inputs. Uh, yeah, and I, I use that a lot too, and like generatively, where I'll get like even you can sync it up a little bit if you want, but just to like um, generatively close and yeah. open the buffers with yeah. those green, green inputs. And a lot of times I'll live play and just play to what the LFOs are doing to the buffers, cool. you know? Sorry if I well, No, no, this is so this is important because sometimes you can get those field recording textures completely out of Coca Quantas with no audio input. It's just it making sounds itself. And you'll even get things that sound a little bit like voices. It's really strange. I, I always I've never fully believed it's not somehow picking up AM radio or something. I, I can't work out how those sounds come out of it. It's funny you mentioned the voice thing, too, because uh, <laughs> to mention Joe Millar for like the millionth time on the podcast, I've sent him tracks before and he's like, I love the like <laughs> vocal part. And I there's never any vocals stuff in my like, I don't know it's where it goes from. It's the ghost. In but the it's Coco, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> the Coco ghosts. I think there's ghosts in it. But they're... they're dawn of electronic music goes and they're telling us to make tape loops or something I don't know <laughs> plum butter is another one that you can go mad patching as well and I, I think in fact with that you, you should agreed 
And I think that was one too that I, it it took a lot longer to know what all the parts did. You know, I, I still sometimes will do things a little bit wrong on Plum Butter if I'm experimenting um, just because there's so much to it. Like there's a lot to cocoa too, but it's a lot of multiples of the same thing, whereas the plum butter is kind of wide open yeah. in comparison. And I, I, a good thing to do for that is to just make notes if you can, like if you on your phone or um, just in a notebook or something. But to, to help me deal with that, I, I quite often, I have a, a process I use with these instruments to, to make a piece of music. Um, normally, so imagine I come up with a concept like, one of the tracks on my album was to do with witches' marks, which is where they supposedly they. I've seen them in real life in in England, where there's a naturally formed cave, or maybe it's an artificial one that somebody used to live in hundreds of years ago, and they'll have like words and symbols etched around it, like messy, almost like crazy patterns all around it, and they're they're witches' marks basically. And I used to see them when I was a kid, and I always wondered what they were until I found out on Wikipedia. And so I wanted to make a piece of music about that. And the, the way I did it is I thought about each instrument I wanted to use, like plum butter, and how would it evoke those kinds of sounds? And then what did those marks make me feel? Like, did they make me feel... In fact, they made me feel some kind of ambiguity. So it wasn't... It was that kind of sus four thing again. Like, it was you could lead major and minor and you could go off in a different direction. You could add some dissonance, then, then resolve it. I wanted to do that. So I put the intervals I wanted into plum butter and deer horn. And then I tried to do sound design to, to get those ultrasound ASMR sounds where they're, they're kind of percussive, but they're also occasionally there's like flex with the gates. You can use the gates to make those harder, sounds um and with the noise as well yeah, yeah. Uh, on plum butter and it, it actually comes together so you have this abstract idea and you you ask yourself how how does that make me feel you find the timbres and the intervals that will realize that you can do it all on on <laughs> plum butter you can it's abstract but you can find it it's powerful enough um and that, that helped me use that instrument, that, that process. Um, you can do another process, which is what cool sounds can I make today and sample them. But I, I quite often found that I would end up making a mess when I did that and I, I wouldn't be satisfied with it. Yeah, I, I think I've found too, like oftentimes when I go to sample plum butter, I'll make like basic uninteresting sounds, which I find when you're triggering them and they're coming out of that in real time, like just a basic, you know, signy kick or something, it works fine. But then when you sample a basic signy kick from it and use that, it's it loses a little bit of the charm, yeah. you know? Yeah, the, the, the percussion you get out of it is amazing. When you're not doing tones, you, because you can make really good drones with plum butter, it's not too hard to make a satisfying drone. It's not too so hard to make satisfying percussion with all kinds of unexpected sounds. But when you're trying to make normal synth sounds, that's when, when I find it. I, I can never really get it exactly how I want. I, I, but I've done it by accident so many times. 
I actually just picked up uh, the Kilpatrick Audio Phenol to pair with it for that exact reason. Oh, I see. Yeah, and, and it, it has uh, MIDI to CV on Banana Jacks, so I can, like, sequence um, the Phenol from an Electron box or something, but then get the clock out to run into plum butter and there's also a built-in clock divider the, the pairing is like i haven't got around like i've just been playing with it i haven't got around to making any music that you know i'd want to share yet but i i think they're gonna be really good friends i saw that and i didn't i didn't dare buy it i i kind of i yeah it's one of those things where you need to see someone else use it I think, for me um i kind of get around it by doing you know, format jumblers. So I, yeah, yeah. And I have the stuff to do that. I just find I often, like, it's so much work. I often it's never crazy. Do. Yeah. Like, <laughs> look, look at this, um, like my setups behind me at the moment. And I've got the seat Lombard things over there on the, on the right side of a giant desk. That's probably over two meters. And then you're a rack there and it all ends up lashed together with different format jumblers and long cables and, you run out of banana jacks all the time. <laughs> uh, that's a big desk, though. Like, I can see now, like, you have room there to kind of shuffle your setup around. And it around is basically a, bit, a studio. Nice. Like, th this room that was supposed to be just a spare room in our house for me and my wife to use is, it, in fact, she wanted it to be her library. <laughs> it, it is turned, it is <laughs> just the studio now. <laughs> I'm glad it is. She didn't mind it, and she's been. She doesn't listen to my music, but she does encourage it. Like she does help me with it. So, so for example, Patchpoint had that Sidrassi that was like they had one, and I don't. I guess Peter found it somewhere. I'm guess I didn't ask them, but they probably wouldn't tell me. Um, and I said to her, like they've listed this <laughs> thing. I love these instruments. I won't be able to buy one because in the US, people will buy and sell them, but I don't really want to. It'd be hard to track it down and import it. So, what do you think? Do you, do you think I could use some of our money to buy it and save up the money again? And she was like, "Yeah, that, this I, these things are unusual. They're rare. They could be worth something one day. So, you know, if you don't enjoy using it, you might make your money back." And she wasn't bothered at all. I was I was a bit nervous about asking. <laughs> she didn't even. She was kind of into it, and it's beautiful as well. It's an extremely different way to work because it, it uses those touch points on the bass. So you know how they have the bars that are like I think it's it might be steel. Some yeah, they look kind yeah. Of xylophone so you, or they, something. They actually right? respond very similarly to the Sidrax. It's not that different, and the sound is very similar. Um, it has these buttons that do the glitch input, so they're they're a bit like arcade buttons, and then. You find yourself oh, cool, kind of juggling yeah. it a bit, but it is quite fun to play. Um, the only thing I found with it, I don't think it holds tuning as well as Sidrax. I'm not sure. I haven't got... It seems like I'm I'm constantly retuning it. So you, if you want to play it by tuning it by ear live, if you're <laughs> brave enough or if your music will permit that, then that works. Or if you if you can sample it, in, like if you've got... Um, I don't know, some Eurorack modules like Morphogene, it would be pretty good to sample. But the Sidrax, I, I tuned the music right. I was working on today that I sent you. Um, 
I, I tuned that like a week ago, I think, for this track, and I hadn't got around to working on that. And it's still perfectly in tune. Well, as perfect as like, have you tuned a Sidrax? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I use a jumbler to tune the Sidrax, and I just take the, the raw oscillator outs. Yeah, and run them straight into a mixer, and then I literally just like f lightly flick them. You know, when they're when you're so close, it's a little yeah. bit sharp or a little bit flat. I just kind of flick the sliders, and every now and then I'll hit it too hard, but it it seems to work. I I mean, it, if I have the patience, I can get that thing just about perfectly in tune. Like certainly to the point. You get that it it's, within. Is it like ten cents off or something? Like just seven cents. Yeah, off. not even. Uh, the deer horn maybe was was subject. I find to that, I can but. tune the deer horn more easily. I, I realize that you have the two fine tune knobs that affect each other, so it's not easy to tune it. But I, no. <laughs> I, I think my fingers can do that better than the the sliders. Yeah, and I'm definitely uh, envy you for that because I had a deer horn. I sold my deer horn, but I had one, and of all of the Peter instruments, I thought it was 100% yeah. the most expressive. But because like everything I do is tonal, I just I really fought that thing, you know. And I see you use it all the time. I see Boris use it all the time. Boris said that he loves tuning it, you know. And I and I just we I should get him to do a Patreon it. video on how to tune. What a great idea! <laughs> that that's a good way to get like maybe uh, some of the listeners of this show that aren't over there over there too. <laughs> oh yeah, get them to. The Jogging House Discord. <laughs> oh, so I, I'm a little worried my phone's going to die here. So I want to get a couple okay, last cool. things in, uh, Alex, if you're cool with that. So what exactly, I know you're involved a little bit with the, well, you use the Monom Norns, but I know you've been doing some work on that platform as well. Like what, what is your background with Norns and what have you done? Norns is, it's just a, it's another ecosystem. So you have we have Seattle Lombard that we enjoy, and there's Eurorack and other modular formats. Nons is another format where, not a format, another platform where it's a small computer that's based on Raspberry Pi, and they Mono made the the system open source, and it has it has a easy way to deal with audio buffers, and it has. And a synth, not a synth engine, but like it has this thing called Super Collider. I don't know if you know much. About I know it. what it is, but I don't know anything beyond that. <laughs> it makes it a bit easier to do audio pro. Well, a lot easier to do audio programming because imagine you do a function call, and the function's like um, to invoke an oscillator, and then you can pass that to something else that's a filter, and they're, they're just short function calls. So. To make, if you if you're making something for norms, you use a high-level programming language called Lua, which is it's a scripting language. It's quite it's actually quite easy to learn. If you've never done programming, it wouldn't be that different to learning like a basic pro, you know, basic from the 80s. It wouldn't be as it wouldn't be that much more difficult than learning that. It, you could you could do it, um, and we're in in that realm you can invoke all of these other things so in lua you can you could make your own sequencer basically and you could tell 
and the, the non system that you want to use a particular engine, that engine will be the synthesizer and you can send it a frequency and it will play it. And you can tell it maybe, but um, different engines have different sounds and different properties. So in my scripts, I've made my own engines. And the, the reason I got into it was I like using norms. The scripts, if you use many scripts on it, or do you have one? Do you have a shield or? I, I, I had it a couple times. I never really got along with it personally. But, but I am familiar with kind of the workflow and, and everything. It's, so it's as powerful as, well, it's as, it's as fun to use as the script that you're running. So uh, quite a few of our friends have used <laughs> um, loopers on it. And because loopers in hardware are quite limited because you, you've got like physical inputs, physical knobs that you have to implement. On norms, it's more open-ended because it's software. So the loopers tend to be quite fun and quite powerful. Um, so, but my thing was, I, I liked using that. That was fine. I like, I liked using all the different loopers and I had a lot of fun with them. However, I just wanted it because it can do MIDI over USB. You can plug in a Novation Peak or a powerful MIDI synth like that. Then you can have the most powerful, crazy sequencer. And if you've got grid, you've got a tactile kind of UI that you can press in real time. So I tried things like Creo which is what runs on one of the things that runs on Ansible, which is a Eurorack module, which is quite a nice, fun sequencer. So I tried that. Yeah, I've used that one a little yeah, bit. Yeah, cool. I, 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 that's one of my favorites, actually, but it did take a lot of practice. But all I wanted to do was make my own that would run, that would play chords. Because there aren't, you know, like when I do these jams on Instagram and I have like a few instruments that I'm, maybe I'm learning them or, I just had an idea and I pull out the digitone and the plum butter and this is my idea. Um, I, I quite often just want some pads with nice chords and I, I can see in my head what the chords aren't the ones this, the, um, like an off-the-shelf sequencer would give me. You know where they do those block chords where it's like C, E, G, then it steps up yeah. too much into the next octave and you want to rearrange it. I just wanted a script like that on norms that yeah. I could play any chords out of my head and it could even do them generatively and things like that. So I started building this, and I found that it's actually quite easy to build a sequencer like that, but it it takes a lot of work to do the UI. That's where it gets difficult. The programming the graphical interface is where to make it fun and, and interesting is effort. So I kind of... And then for the end user, you want to have a little bit of visual appeal too, right? Exactly. That's why it's yeah. hard. So I, I kind of... I have that script. It's not finished. And then I had, I think it was raining, and I was like, why can't I just make a script like that where raindrops are falling? And it, each time the raindrop hits the ground, it makes a sound, and that would be your sequencer. So I tried it. I tried making a simulation of, it's not really a simulation, it's like water falling, and then it makes these circles, and it's the raindrops falling. And I tried that, and I hooked it up to one of their built-in engines, which is called I think it's Perk, I've forgotten. And it, it sounded all right. It sounded kind of like what Marbles does and all that stuff. Um, and I got really excited about it. And I, right. I, I made it and I shared it and some people used it. Um, I think the trick was that if anyone's interested and they want to do a similar thing, I made it quite opinionated. Like I only used scales that I would use if I was making the, that kind of music. I didn't make it completely open-ended so you can select right. any scales. Uh, scales 
And the idea was the the script would kind of be a piece of art. So it's kind of like a piece of music I made, but also you can make music with it. Yeah, kind of a similar thing almost to like the the Brian Eno apps that were out and stuff, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. I had some... Yeah, that's such a cool idea. I love the the idea that you kind of made it a little bit more restricted because to me that appeals to me more than if it was open-ended because then I can really focus on what I want to get out of it or know what I want to turn to it for. I, I That's so cool, man. Imagine what you would do with it. Like you would you would plug it into Coca Quantis, you would plug it into a looper, you'd add some effects and you could build something really beautiful from something quite simple. So if I, if I give you... I am imagining that's not good. <laughs> well, you just have to live near someone that can lend you a knot, and then you don't have to make a ridiculous that's investment. <laughs> well, that's sweet. Um, I yeah, I mean, I don't even know what to say because I kind of just have gas now. <laughs> no, but you, you can. I can send you some sound samples. I can send you some wave files, and you don't need it. Yeah, yeah, do that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I guess we, we talked about Fremder a little bit, and uh, I know that that's sold out, but I, I if I were to guess, I'm just going to guess that there will be a second edition probably. I don't know for sure, but um, I hope. <laughs> and regardless, I'll, I'll make sure and put a link to that in, in the, the bio for this episode, because the people can still go get it digitally if they haven't heard it god forbid right thank you and um yeah so other than that i was just kind of curious do you is what's next on the radar for ambilek i'm working on more sit lombard heavy stuff i need i need to do stuff with that with that human touch that it gives you you know when you play things with sidrax and Deerhorn. I'm still, I've, I'm, I like where it's going. I've been sharing clips, like on Instagram. Yeah, it's all beautiful. <laughs> I like, <laughs> thanks. I, that, that's what I want, but I do kind of have a philosophy, like an album should have those, um, there should be, for me, for my perfect album of somebody else, usually when I listen to somebody else's music, it usually has a few drone tracks, one or two percussion-y tracks, you know, with some driving beat or bass. Um, and then a few more experimental tracks. I like that kind of flow. And um, so obviously I can do all that. I can do the percussion with Plum Butter and I enjoy that. It works. Um, and the experimental stuff, I can do that. I've been doing some Sidrax stuff where you patch the, you know, the glitch inputs and... Yeah, it sound, it can sound Love. amazing, and I don't even know what it's doing. Yeah. And, and the cool thing with the glitch inputs I found, too, is, like, because they relate to other oscillators, depending on how you have, like, the synth tune and what you patch there, like, it's a totally different experience every time. Yeah, and that, that means that you do, you do want to be recording what you're doing. <laughs> in case something interesting comes up, I could put it in Morphogene or I could put it in Coca Quantum, Octatrack, whatever I've got. Um, I don't have any big plans though. I, I'm just, I'm working on an, I want to work on another album. I'm gathering material. I don't have any other plans really. I've got another non script I'm working on 
called Fall, which is inspired by the leaves falling now. I, I was watching the leaves falling and I was thinking, because they don't just fall, they kind of hit each other. And I thought that would be, if you could sim simulate that in a simple way, you could actually make music from that. So I, I made a quick demo and it, it seemed to work. So I'm just finishing off the the actual performance controls. I want it so you can add something to it as it's generating the notes. And I made little pixel art leaves that seemed to fall down. But it, it looks it looks like I actually made it so they flutter in the wind, but it's actually just random. 